Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, that you are good, that you speak and help us to find meaning in the things of this world. And we ask, Lord, that as we look at wealth now, uh, that you will show us where our true meaning can be found. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I wish Kananara had was a McDonald's. Because I love a good McDonald's chocolate thick shake. By far, in my opinion, that is the best thing that McDonald's sells. And so because we can't get it in town, whenever I do go to a town where there is a McDonald's, amen, I just head like a beeline to McDonald's to get that chocolate thick shake. Uh, one time I was in Broome and I did my beeline to uh, the McDonald's and I got my chocolate thick shake to go. And man, it was disappointing. It was so disappointing. The staff had forgotten to put the chocolatey goodness into the chocolate thick shake. And so it was just kind of like a mushed sundae that didn't really do the job. It didn't really satisfy. It really let me down. See, when you put your hope in something, you don't want that something to let you down, do you? You you don't want it to fail you. None of us like having that experience of being let down, of something that we've, we've hoped in disappoint us especially if it's more significant than a chocolate thick shake at McDonald's. Like you buy a car you really want and then you find out it's a lemon. Or you put your hope in a relationship and then that relationship breaks down. Or you you put your hope in a job and the job doesn't come through or the job isn't what you expected. Or what we're going to be looking at today, you put your hope in your finances and your wealth and your possessions and then ultimately they let you down. Uh, Did you know Australia is quite a rich nation? Uh, One article I read put it like this, when it comes to money, uh, we've got it honey. And Australians are generally getting richer as well. According to the Credit Suisse Wealth Report, we are the second fastest nation in the world at increasing our wealth. Uh, Switzerland beat us. We are a rich nation in comparison to the rest of the world. Uh, To think about it another way, if you are on a government payment and not supporting family members, you're considered to be in the top 10% of the world's richest people. If you're a single parent on government payments with three kids, you're still in the top 15% of the world's richest people. And if you have a job that earns more than what you would receive on government payments, that puts you in the top 10% of the world's richest people. Now, you might not feel rich, We have debts, we have a high cost of living. But it is helpful for us to know that here in Australia, we do actually have more money, more disposable income, more access to be able to buy the things that we want than most people do in the world. And with that comes hidden dangers for our spiritual health and our lives that we need to be aware of. And so today we're going to look at whether there is any meaning in wealth and how wealth might disappoint us and let us down. Now, by way of reminder, we've been looking this term through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been on this search for meaning with the teacher, and we've travelled with the teacher, and we've looked for meaning in life, in work, in time, and today we look for meaning in wealth. And the conclusion that the teacher keeps coming to is this. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, a chasing after the wind. If you're only looking at what's being in this world, it doesn't make sense. But each week we have found meaning, 
And the key to finding meaning is to know that God is real. God is going to call to account our actions for the way that we've lived. And that death isn't, doesn't have the final say because Jesus has risen from the dead. So how does this help us find meaning in wealth? Well, well let's delve in and see. Uh, please have your Bibles turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 as we consider the meaning of wealth. And first we're going to look at the love of wealth. If you look at verse 10, we see the teacher's wisdom on wealth. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Now, the teacher is not poor. He's quite rich himself. He's not looking on going, oh, I wish I had all this money. You can't say to the teacher, well, of course you would say that. You've got no money. Of course you're going to say money is disappointing and it doesn't deliver. But no, the teacher is rich very rich. We saw that in chapter 2. He had great wealth, he had great possessions, and yet here he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. He's saying money and wealth are going to disappoint, just like a flavorless thick shake. won't satisfy. It'll let you down. And this is true of the rich today as well. Those that we would consider rich in our world are not satisfied. They are not fulfilled. They still want more. According to one survey, only 13% of millionaires in America considered themselves wealthy. That's crazy, isn't it? Now, it'd be easy for us to think that only people with lots and lots of money love money. But that's not true either. Australians love money. We love building wealth and portfolios and collections of boats and cars and jet skis and we love adding to our technology. Not only that, but we we love what we we think money and wealth can hold out for us. We we kind of put our hope in it, our our security, our, our future. Do you love money? Jesus says that it's impossible to love God and money. And so my guess is this morning, you're sitting here thinking, well, I know people who love money, but I don't love money. But because of the danger of loving money, I think it's actually worth us spending some time diagnosing our own hearts. Is our hope in our wealth? Here are some signs that you might be unknowingly putting your hope and trust in wealth. You have a mortgage. You hear about the interest rates going up each month and you worry. It makes you anxious. You think about it a lot. But you're not moved to pray about the situation. The cost of living is going up at the moment. Maybe that's causing you to worry. Life just costs more. Your income hasn't gone up, but fruit and veg has. Petrol has. Media calls it wages stagnation. But we know it means that we've got less money to spend and can cause us to worry. But we don't pray about it to the God who provides our daily bread. It just causes us to, to worry and be anxious. Maybe you're concerned with how you will live in the future. Superannuation, it turns out, relies on the share market and the share market just keeps crashing. It seems over and over and over again. What if you don't have enough when you retire? What will you do? 
We look to our super, to our bank balances, to our possessions for security, to ease our anxieties about life. Flipping the coin a little bit, another sign that we might love money is that we think that we will be happy or that we will be fulfilled or that we will be less anxious and worried if we can just have that thing that we really want. If we just had that little bit more money, uh, this week I was at a conference uh, with a minister in Newman, a mining town, and he was saying that for so many people in Newman, they just live for money and wealth. Their whole lives are planned around increasing their wealth. Their happiness, their fulfilment depends on them. And I'm sure there are people like that here in Kananara as well. Do you spend more time evaluating your financial decisions, your current thinking about your current bank balances, your future purchases, than you do spending time in you, working on your relationship with God, spending time reading his word and in prayer? Here's another one. Are you discontent with your current financial situation? Disgruntled? Wishing that you had more? One last sign. Are you stingy? Do you really dislike giving money away? Are you a begrudging giver? Not a cheerful one. Now maybe as we went through that list, you recognised in yourself some of those signs that maybe you do love money, even if it's just a little bit. And I don't think that should be a surprise to us. We live in a nation of people that loves money, loves wealth, loves building wealth. But the problem is it's a flavourless milkshake. Here is the problem of loving wealth from the teacher in Ecclesiastes. It's meaningless, he says in verse 10. So let's look at this meaningless in wealth. There are two disappointments the teacher has about wealth. The first is found in verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Do you see the problem? Wealth makes us fat. Just like too many kick shakes will. Not not obese fat, but wealthy fat. And as we get more, our hopes of what our wealth can do for us increase. So we're more likely to rest securely in our wealth than we are in the hands of our loving God. But the teacher points out another thing, that with fat wealth comes underutilised wealth. You can't use everything all at once. All you can do is look at it. It's like when you, you look at a feast, a feast of food, a towel, like the potluck we're going to have in two weeks' time. You might look at the table and go, I want to eat all of it. But you can't. Nor should you. And the problem with this fat wealth that is underutilised, that makes you want to hope in it more, is that it actually brings discontentment. Verse 12. The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The fat rich can't sleep. They worry, worrying about keeping it safe. I learned this week that the uber rich, uh, a good portion of them worry so much about losing their wealth that they will put their money in banks and pay the banks to keep the money there rather than earning interest and investing the money. That's how worried they are about losing their wealth. And maybe that's us too. Maybe we worry about losing our worldly wealth. 
and maybe we're discontent. Because if our hope is in money, we will be discontented with our financial situation. Our appetite for wealth cannot be fed by however much we have. We always need more. That's the first disappointment that the teacher highlights. The second is this. Riches and wealth and things are not permanent. He says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Maybe you've had this experience of just seeing your worldly wealth disappear before your eyes. You watch your your super dwindle. You have a business venture go wrong and the profit just evaporates. You lose a significant amount trading and selling things. Maybe your money has been stolen from you. And there's a scam uh, where scammers broke into a lawyer's computer and using the lawyer's email told a couple who are about to put $160,000 down for a house deposit, changed bank details. And so the money was transferred not to the bank, but to some thief in Nigeria. And they lost that $160,000. It wasn't returned to them. They now don't have their $160,000. They now don't have a house because they can't afford it. See, wealth is fleeting. And I think rightly, the teacher calls things like that evil under the sun. He calls it a a chasing after the wind in verse 16. You work for something, but it doesn't last. And even if in this life you do manage to keep your wealth, the teacher makes the point, you can't take it with you. Verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Death shows us that the pursuit of wealth is just like a chasing after the wind. Death will come. You can't take your house. You can't take your fishing boat. You can't take the leftover super that you've got left. You can't take your worldly treasures with you. And to add to that, if you look at verse 17, being rich and wealthy and having lots of things, it doesn't stop you from having moments of darkness. It doesn't stop you from being angry. It doesn't stop you from worrying. It doesn't stop you from getting sick. The lie of our culture is that you will be fulfilled by having wealth. The lie that you will be complete if you can just have all those possessions that you want. That money is the answer to all your problems. That if you just had more money, you would be less anxious. That you would be less worried. You'd be happier. You'd be more fulfilled. The idea of credit cards kind of work in our society because they sell that lie that if you had access now to that little bit of extra money to buy that thing or to pay off that person, you'll be happy. Of course, until you have to pay it back with interest. Money will disappoint. And love of money It's ultimately going to leave us empty. It's no hope at all. It's a flavorless thick shake. We need to remember the teacher's conclusion in verse 10. Wealth is meaningless. So where do we find meaning in wealth? Is there any meaning to be found in wealth? Well, the teacher of Ecclesiastes has one thing to say about the meaning of wealth in this passage. 
And that's found in verse 18, where the teacher talks about enjoying the wealth that God gives. He says, it's good and fitting to enjoy the wealth. Verse 19, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. The contentment, whether in little or in much, is a gift from God. And so we should accept our lot and rejoice in what God has given. Instead of loving money and seeking to build it and being stressed and anxious and it bringing disappointment, we can rejoice in what God has given us. But contentment's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to be content. Most people cannot enjoy their wealth without feeling of this feeling of emptiness, of, of wanting more. And the reason is because sin and death are in the picture. Sin in the Bible is our broken relationship with God. And that broken relationship frustrates our ability to be content with what God has given to us. God gives us good things, but without being connected to God, the giver, we can't actually enjoy them because what we do is we ask something of that wealth that it was never designed to do. We ask that wealth to be our hope, to be our security, to be our our guarantee of a better future, but that is not something that wealth can offer. And so we can never be content with it. It's like trying to get a hammer to do the job of a drill. I don't know if you've ever tried getting a hammer to do the job of a drill. It doesn't work. And if you did try, it would just lead to frustration and anger and maybe some, something with a hole in it when you throw the hammer because you're just over it. But that's what we do with money and wealth when we love it instead of God. We, we try to make it do something God never designed for it. And it leads us to disappointment, frustration, and anger, and discontentment. So we should be content with what God gives us, but we can't unless we're connected to God. And this is where Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus knew that satisfaction was not to be found in money, but in him. In John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, the the thing that people strive for with worldly wealth, it's like the thief. It comes and steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus offers life to the full. And to make it possible, he gave up everything. He laid down his own life. He died on the cross so we could have our sin forgiven. That relationship with God that was broken, restored. So that we could, in Jesus' words, have life to the full. When Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he died to forgive our misplaced hopes our misplaced desires for those times that we've loved money instead of God. 
Those times when we placed our trusted in money and our hopes in money instead of placing our trusts and hope in God. And when we place our trust in Jesus, we don't have to lay awake at night worrying about our hope. We don't have to lay awake at night worrying about our future. Because our hope, our future, our security rests not on the things of this world, not on our bank balances, not on what we've got or don't have, but on Jesus and his death and then his resurrection for us. Jesus can give life to the full because Jesus defeats death and he comes back to life. And he offers that life to us. It's guaranteed. And Jesus gives us heavenly wealth. Wealth that's not going to be taken from us. Now, we're not talking heavenly gold bars that we can use to upgrade our couch and TV in heaven. No, we're talking about riches and wealth of eternal life, the wealth of being in God's family as God's forgiven sinners, enjoying all the goodness of God towards us forever. For eternity. And so because of this, it makes so much more sense to trust Jesus than it does to trust money. Jesus is not going to disappoint. Jesus is not a flavorless dictionary, but he gives life to the full. And so we need to look to Jesus for our hope, not wealth, because Jesus offers us something this world never can. So let's think through some of the implications for this. Well, firstly, if you've been searching for fulfillment, for happiness, for satisfaction, particularly if you've been searching for that in wealth, know that you can only find that in Jesus. And Jesus invites you today to come to him and find life, full life. Come and acknowledge before Jesus you've been searching for meaning and fulfillment in something that can never deliver and that you want the full eternal life Jesus offers. And if you do that, believe in Jesus. Jesus will give you eternal life. You don't have to work for it. It's a free gift. And when you come to Jesus, God will give you the gift of his Holy Spirit that enables you to start loving Jesus and to stop loving money. And when we start trusting Jesus and not our wealth, it means we won't have this huge expectation on worldly wealth that can never deliver. We'll see our wealth as it is, a good gift from God, something we can be content in, knowing that our hope and our security and our future is already taken care of by Jesus. Jesus lifts the burden from us of trying to find happiness in our own financial situation. It means we can enjoy whatever wealth God gives, whether little or much, without having to seek more, without having to find fulfillment in it. And so it means instead of worrying about our finances and being anxious about our money or our things, we need to bring that before God in prayer and trust that he will provide. Matthew chapter 6 tells us how God cares for the birds of the air and how he cares for the flowers in the field. And then he concludes how much more will he provide for us, his children. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be wealthy in this world if we follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that our bank balances will necessarily be healthy. It doesn't mean that Christians won't have financial troubles. 
We live in a broken world. Financial problems can happen to anyone. Christians are not exempt from that. If you do find yourself having financial woes, it doesn't mean that your faith is any less than someone whose bank balance is not having financial woes at that time. See, God will provide for our needs, but God's goal for us is not financial success. God's goal for us is that we become more and more like Jesus. That we become more mature in him. Our wealth is stored up in heaven, not in this world. As an example, I'm confident that God would prefer a poor Christian with financial woes who is dependent on him in prayer than a rich Christian who never prays. So it means when you're lying awake at night and you're worried about money, pray. Bring that concern to him. Allow him to remind you that he will provide for you and ultimately that you're not in control of your bank balance. He is. It's a good gift from him whether it's little or much. When you wake in the middle of the night anxious about your future and whether you have enough money to live on, remember that your hope is in Jesus, not your future worldly wealth. And ask God to help you be content. When you're feeling disgruntled or discontent at how much money you have and wishing you had more, stop. Take a moment. Remember that what you have is a good gift from God and rejoice in what God has given you. Ask him to help you realize the good gift he's given you. And we can rejoice, not because of whatever our financial situation is. There may be honest financial hardships that are difficult, but we can rejoice because of Jesus. And the life and the eternal wealth in heaven that he brings. You might be here today and you might need to ask God for forgiveness for loving money more than love. And that's okay. God takes us as we are. And because of what Jesus has done, he will forgive us. But knowing Jesus has done all that for us, it means that instead of striving for wealth, we can strive for the things that matter in God's kingdom. We can use our worldly wealth to further the causes of what God thinks is important. We don't want to be fat rich in this world and not fat rich in God's kingdom, do we? All the resources we have are given to us by God and we're to use them knowing that they are a good and gracious gift towards us to serve Jesus. And knowing that's going to help us to be generous. It's going to help us not to be too attached to our wealth, to, to view our wealth rightly, to not love our money but to love Jesus instead. We don't need to care about our wealth as much as the world tells us we care about our wealth. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us. But we're not to put our hope in that which is fleeting, a chasing after the wind, meaningless. And we can remember that the helpful reminder that we do find in Ecclesiastes time and time again is that God will call us to account for how we've lived and how we've used our wealth. And so Jesus or wealth? Well, Jesus is the better option, by far. And Jesus helps us to see wealth the way that God wants us to see wealth. 
not something to find our meaning in, but instead to find our worth, our hope, our security, our future in Jesus. And Jesus won't fail us. Jesus won't disappoint us because he's risen from the grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are an awesome God, that you sent your Son uh, to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, so that we can have life to the full. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be at work in us today, this morning, so that we would be people who do not place our trust in wealth or the things of this world that are fleeting or that are chasing after the wind, but that we would place our hope in Jesus, who's going to be rule in heaven with you for all eternity, and we get to rule with him if we trust Jesus. And so help us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.